It's been a really strange offseason. Vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. You made it. We're not sabermetricians. That's all behind us now. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Hey, you're listening to Flushing Transit Authority. It's a Mets podcast. I'm your co-host, Jay Bushman. I just got back from Uncle Jack's Meat House in a story on Dipmaw's Boulevard. <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, Will Stegman. Hey, Will. Ha- <clears throat> hey, Will. How's it going? Oh, hey. Sorry, I thought I was in that commercial for a second. Well, you know, I just got back from a trip to New York, and when you go home, it's like the, the accent starts to come out a little I know. bit, and you hear it everywhere, and so you start mimicking it, and, and sometimes it takes me a little bit to shake out of that. Yeah, no, I totally understand it. I have to say, that is my favorite radio spot on the Mets uh, radio broadcasts. I love it so much that I thought it was fake. <laughs> I was like... This is a fake commercial, and I had to reach out to my friend Christina to be like, hey, am I imagining this commercial? Like, am I having a stroke once a game? And there's a place that has, all right, let's see if we can go through it. Burgers, steaks, <laughs> chops, craft cocktails, speakeasy, live alligators, <laughs> a pit of snakes. You, If you get a snake and it doesn't kill you, you can take it home at Uncle Jack's. I'll be honest, I do walk around my apartment these days and just for no apparent reason start saying, Dipmaw's Boulevard. It just feels good. It feels like the just the ancestral accent of my people. It's such a New York commercial. It really is. It's, it's terrific. And every time I hear it, I'm like, ah, I, this is one of the things that I miss about New York are just these local commercials where people just get in front of the mic and yell about stuff for 30 <laughs> seconds. Speaking about yelling about stuff. Yeah. Um, I think we have to have a team meeting. Yes, I know agreed. That, uh, I know that uh, uh, we just said earlier in the week that team meetings are not going to solve podcast problems. But you know, when you mix metaphors the way we do on this podcast, you really gotta gotta keep these uh, uh, get the fundamentals down. You can't be missing the cutoff man. Um, you can't be. Um, I feel like you're you're thinking of a specific group of people that we pay close attention to. Who all work in Queens? Are you talking at about Uncle Jack's? No, no, no that's on that's on Dittmar's. This that's is Dittmar's. yeah, this is in Flushing. It's more like Roosevelt. Are you, Roosevelt are you talking about the Mets? Mets? No, I don't think I'm familiar with no. that. No, I mean because this is generally a Mets podcast. Oh, you're right. This is generally not a commercial podcast. <sighs> so, I guess as much as we don't want to, we're back. Hey guys, it's... we're back below 500. Yes, Hooray. we did it. So. In preparing some notes for this, uh-huh. all I wrote down was, what fresh hell? <laughs> so this is going to shock you, but I'm actually slightly positive. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because we've been here before many, many, many times where, oh my God, everything sucks. Nobody can hit. The pitchers can't keep a lead. Every game seems like some ridiculous, painful ignominious loss in some weird new way. But the thing is, is in previous years, when we've been in this pit of despair, the conversation has been, well, the first step is they got to get back to 500. They're eight games below 500. They're 11 games below 500. They got a long climb to get to 500. And then once they're there, then they can take the next step. We're one game below 500. Yes. This is, this feels terrible, but it's a lot better than where we've been for the past few years. Yes. To set the scene, for anyone listening to this who has wisely 
turned their backs on the New York Mets for the last couple of weeks. Self-preservation is important. As you can probably tell from the tone of Jay's voice, the Mets are screwed, in my opinion. <laughs> Things are not going well. Um, after a really hot start to begin the season, um, they have played very poorly through the entire month of May, and the first night of June got off to a very poor start. So right now the Mets sit at one game under 500, a possibility that seemed very remote well, when they impossible. when they began this season as the hottest team in yeah. baseball behind the Red Sox. Um, we didn't think we'd be here, but here we are. It feels comfortable, you know. Good to, we're used to being here. Good to be back where yes. you know. But but I, I still I, I maintain a, a small sense of maybe idiotic optimism because yes, it's been bad and it's been ugly. But we've seen a lot worse. Um, what it looks like t- to me anyway is is a is a team where they're not firing on all cylinders. Or any cylinders. Well, well, you have this sort of progressive collapse, right? So for the first part of the season, the bullpen was rock solid and the starters were, were suspect. And so the bullpen gets overworked. So by the time the starters start picking up the slack, the bullpen's been overworked and now they're starting to let things go. Um, you know, we don't have to do another whole year about injuries and injuries and injuries, but, you know, last year, if Noah Syndergaard had come down with a finger injury, he would have missed two months. This year, he's going to miss one start. Um, Steven Matz has a finger injury. Everyone's got the finger injuries this year. He's not going to miss a start, it looks like. Two years ago, he would have missed the rest of the season. You're right. Like, this is actually an improvement. Jay, I really appreciate you. Um, I don't know what the, what the mixed metaphors here. It's not throwing cold. I, I appreciate you... Calming me down is the phrase I'm looking for, because I have been so just unhappy about the Mets. You know, during the baseball season, you know, the Mets are always the thing that I look forward to Mm -hmm. at the end of my day. And for the last two weeks, it's been a chore sometimes. It's like if Jacob deGrom isn't starting, Mm -hmm. I feel like, oh, this this is a responsibility now. Not a joy. I don't know. I feel like like it hasn't been the games have not been enjoyable for the most part, but they've been in all of them. Like for the for I know one or two games aside, they've been in most of them. That you know they could very easily have won many of these games that they lost. Which I know that's easy to say, but we've had teams in the past where that was not the case. Absolutely, there were teams where you know at first pitch you knew the Mets yeah. were overmatched. But in retrospect. You know, I look back on, on so so I generally like to say I don't I don't really pay attention to standings until June first. Well, here we are. And here we are, the second of June when we're recording this. And when I look back on the first two months of the season, what appears to me to be the key event is the injury to Swarzak. Which yeah. we haven't really talked about. Like no one's really he's forgotten because he never actually pitched for the team because right. he got injured in spring training. But Swarzak going down puts more pressure on the bullpen in the first part of the season, which makes them more vulnerable to collapse. Right. Given the load they had in April, which means now they're even in more of a hole. And so this sort of becomes this progressive thing where one, usually we talk about one 
part of the team picking up another part of the team. This has been a progressive one part of the team letting down another part of the team. And the blame just goes around. Um, you know, everyone has got some, all of our players in their 30s are on the disabled list, it appears. Um, you know, I, I heard an interesting thing today. Uh, Todd Frazier, until now, has never been on the disabled list. Oh, boy. New York, and well, welcome. Um, <laughs> so, this... But, you know, at the beginning of the season, would you have guessed that Adrian Gonzalez would still be here in June and that we'd be happy to have him? I would not, and I have would to... Would you have guessed that Joey Bats would be on our team and he'd be playing pretty well? I have to say, when we drew up, you know, we have a, we have a little safety deposit box <laughs> that we keep in a very secure yeah. place where we put our really, really serious Mets predictions mm-hmm. that we don't even share with you. You guys know the ones. It's where we go 162 and 0, yeah. 161 and 1. But we also said, like, who are the least likely players to end up on the Mets this season? And I don't think Joey Bats got named in the first 20. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, and we've seen just in the past two weeks, we've seen both Brendan Nimmo and Ahmed Rosario take a step up. And that has been really exciting. So there's there's a lot of good stuff below the headline yes. here. And I am I am psyched that that the starting pitching is starting to round into shape. And, and here's where here's where I have to I have to confess something here. I have a little bit of a ball player crush. Do you get these? Oh totally. You get a crush on a ball player where you're like, you just get excited when you see him come up to bat. Or, you know, you watch a little a play that he does and you go, I, I recognize that this is something a little more and it just speaks to you. And I, I have to tell you, I have developed a bit of a ball player crush on Devin Mezzarocco. Really? That I could see, like the moment Mezzarocco joined the team, the starting pitching felt more locked in. And there was that one game, I think it was the second or third game, and I can't remember if it was Mats or, or Wheeler, one of the two. He actually did it with both of them, but if, if it, but where Mezzarocco basically carried the pitcher through a tough inning. And right. You could see him like basically being a psychologist and like keeping his 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 um, intensity up and his focus. And I was like, that is amazing. And that is a part of the job of a catcher that right. we don't generally talk about. And damn, he is good at it. The staff seems to respond to him. I don't think it's a coincidence that Wheeler and Mets. Uh, and even Vargas have started to pitch better throwing to Mezzarocco than they were to Jose Lobaton and Tomas Nito. I don't I, think that's a coincidence at all. Well, I mean, I understand, you know, Nito being, you know, again, he came up from double A yeah. last year. Um, he's inexperienced. I would think that a guy like Jose Lobaton, who had been around the league, and maybe he just didn't get enough reps to to yeah. gel with the, with the staff. Um, but you're right. Like, the starters have... There is a, um, there seems to be a, a confidence in what um, Mezzarocco is doing back there. The other thing about Mezzarocco, and, and, and I can't get this out of my head every time I see him on, uh, when he comes up to bat, is he looks like a blend of, if you watch the TV show The Expanse, mm-hmm. uh, Wes Chatham is the actor who plays the character Amos on The Expanse. Mezzarocco looks like a combination of Wes Chatham and the comedian Nick Kroll. Okay. And like, if you blended those faces, you get. I can see that. 
The best thing anyone has said to me about Devin Mesoraco, and I'm not going to name the person because this isn't the most flattering sentence <laughs> I'm about to, but someone emailed me and said, Devin Mesoraco has Al Capone eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I can see that. It's one of those things that I never yeah. would have thought of. Yeah. But once it was pointed out, I was like... Uh, Al Capone, Nick Kroll, yeah, those two things yeah. go together. Mesoraco... Good job back yeah. there, has Al Capone's eyes. Yeah. I just hope that Geraldo finds some RBIs in <laughs> Mesoraco's vault. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. But yeah, so like things have been bad. I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat everything. Um, I, and you've heard me say this. I've said this over and over again. Um, I don't care about, you know, win or lose. I want an interesting, compelling game. I don't want a boring game. Mm -hmm. And some of these games have been a little boring. Um, they've looked a little flat-footed. If they get behind three or four runs, it's like, oh, God, like, there's no way they're coming back. Um, but some of these games have, they've been in it, and then, you know, Hansel Robles blesses pointing to the sky hard or, you know, like, what happened to Jerry Blevins? Well, like, I have a very, I understand what happened to Jerry Blevins yeah. because he's not here to defend himself. It's Terry Collins' fault. Yeah. It's Terry's right. fault. Is, is this the Fernando Salas um, thing where like you just overuse someone and then they become less useful and so then you get rid of them and go, well, he's, he wasn't very good. No, he was great. You just send him out there every day. Right. Yeah. You know, my sort of, um, yeah, again, you've really talked me down from being, because my thought coming into sitting down and talking about this was when the Mets get to this point where they're scuffling, we keep saying they've just got to get to 500, and then hopefully they'll hit their stride. What I worry is that they hit their stride in the first two weeks of the season, <laughs> and we're not going to get back to it. And, you know, like, what if that's as good as it gets? So I'm looking at everything as sort of a glass half empty. Um, you know, I look like, oh, boy, if you're bringing Jose Batista onto the team, things are in bad shape. If Jay Bruce can't hit his way out of a paper bag... And, you know, we're in really bad shape. Um, but you're right, there are positives. And we went through this last year and even the year before with Bruce, where, you know, Bruce is a streaky hitter. We went also through this last year with Granderson. Yes. Where Granderson Curtis. is a streaky hitter. And so in the beginning of the season, you remember last year, like, Curtis couldn't, couldn't hit no, he anything. Was, he was hitting under 200. And we're like, oh my God, is he done? And then, like, June rolled around and, and he... Up. Yeah. And I would rather have the bad part at the beginning of the season to get it out of the way. I guess. Yeah. Um, so I just got to hope that, that that's where we are with Bruce also, that he's just going through a bad patch and that we will reap the benefits of that. Right. Shortly. So I got one more negative thing. Okay. And then we're going to move on to some real fun <laughs> stuff. Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes. Do the Mets not understand that he is not, he doesn't have to be on the team? Like, I, here's what I, here, I was actually thinking about this on the way over because I was pretty sure we were going to talk about. Put a pin in that for half a second. Story. Yeah. Because again, not everybody's, people have looked mm -hmm. away. Jose Reyes um, has been terrible. He's been dreadful. He has been uh, overmatched. Um, it just, it's, I don't know what he's doing out there. So you were saying. Um, 
I I will I will put this prediction in the vault. I'll scribble this one down and put it in the vault, and we'll come back in two weeks and and see. But I believe that by the time we record our next podcast, um, Reyes will no longer be with the team. And I think the thing that they are waiting for is Frazier to come off the DL. Right. Because especially with Flores going off, off on the DL, who do you put at third base now? Right. Like, you could shift Cabrera back over there, but we've already seen that he's lost a step right. for third base. You could put Guillaume over there, but, you know... Is he going to hit... He's a stopgap. Yeah. You know, so... I mean, he's going to hit more than Reyes at this point, but... True point. I, I get the sense that, you know, that they're riding Reyes just until Frazier comes back and right. that, that will be the roster move. Yeah, I just feel like he's just giving away outs. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, you, you know, I mean, thank goodness he's not starting often because when he starts, yeah. it's like, well, how is he going to make this terrible today? And look, I say that I'm fully aware of what the young Jose Reyes meant to this team and how much of a big fan I was of Jose Reyes. You know, there are two things with Reyes is, you know, once somebody um, is in a domestic violence, it, you know, uh, situation uh, where they are the aggressor, um, I never look at that person the same way. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about this strictly from a baseball perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I have been against Jose Reyes being back on the team since he came back. Yeah. Um, but strictly from a baseball perspective at this point, why is there's Yeah. It's brutal, and 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 I don't think anybody is under the impression otherwise. Um, it's but it's not like anyone on the team can say that. But if he was you not know? Jose Reyes, if he wasn't a guy who came up to this team when he was still you know two days before his twentieth birthday, if he wasn't somebody with a history on this team, he wouldn't have made the ball club out of spring training. Possibly, um, I don't. I'm not sh- clear they had another person to. Multi-position Fair. sub. Yeah. Um, well, you assume slot. you assume that Wilmer Flores is that person. And I think if Flores had not gone on the DL with the the, the back issue, Reyes may already have been gone. Right. Um, I, especially with the crunch of roster moves in the last week, where they had to bring up three bullpen yeah. arms that we've never heard of before. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that that I feel like. Jose's days on the team are numbered, and as brutal as he has been, I I don't feel like throwing dirt on him because he's on his way out. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's a frustrating thing every time I, I see he's he's yeah. taking at bats away from, um, you know, a bag of baseballs who could be just as <laughs> but, effective. But I think that's that's the exact issue is yeah. who is he taking that at bat away from? Right. And there isn't anyone in that position right now. Um, yeah. I'm True. Sure. So, all right, I promised we're going to talk about some good stuff. Okay, let's talk about some good stuff. First good thing. Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo. Wow. Brandon Nimmo reminds me of just every, like, kid who was happy to be on the field. And I know that everybody out there is happy to be there. I don't think anybody on that in, you know, in a Mets uniform would rather be doing anything else but man, does watching Brandon Nimmo make me feel happy about baseball? He reminds me. I was I was listening to the game yesterday, and and I had this thought that he reminds me of um, an anti-scuzzy Lang Dykstra. 
I was just thinking the same yes. thing. Yes. Like a mirror universe version of Lenny. Right, right. Like, like you just scrubbed all of the crap off of off right. Lenny. Like in yeah. in this scenario, like Lenny has the beard, so yeah. you know he's the evil one. Yes, exactly. And Brandon Nimmo is the good one. Yeah. Now the thing is, this is not a case of old dudes falling in love with a scrappy ball player. Brandon Nimmo can play. Yeah. Brandon Nimmo is you know this is not a a uh, a uh, grit and David Eckstein type thing. Yeah. Because I don't really have a lot of patience for somebody who plays, quote-unquote, the right way. Because mm-hmm. there is no right way. And I love flashy players. Uh-huh. Um, this is not a gritty gym rat playing the right way. It, it's not one of those things. Because, wow, Brandon Nimmo can get on base. You know what I want? I want a detective show or a comic book where Curtis Granderson solves crimes and Brandon Nimmo is his sidekick. Oh, that would be great. He's an over-eager sidekick. Totally. And Granderson's always got to calm him down. Like, come on, yes. Nimmo. Come on, slow down. <laughs> You're losing your head, Nimmo. <laughs> the mayor is tired of your screwball antics, Nimmo. <laughs> Holy head for slide, Grandy. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, Grandy and the kid. Yeah. Um, that would be fantastic. I would love it. Um, just solving sports-related crimes. Crimes that happen in the stadium. Because Brandon Nimmo is like the definitive type of person that gets referred to as a chum. Yes. Yes. Um, I've really enjoyed the emergence of Brandon Nimmo. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, the um, the we're I think we're seeing Med Rosario grow up. Oh yeah. In front of our very eyes. Yeah, and you know I was I was thinking about this in the past couple of weeks about how we are always so like, oh, hot prospect, like future of the team. And then they come up and they're not like the greatest thing ever. And right. it's like, oh, whatever, fine. Like, let's trade them. And it's right. like, no, it actually does take a couple of years at the major league level for most players right. to take those steps. And because the Mets are always in a position, or seemingly always in a position, where they have to bring someone up out of dire necessity, mm-hmm. Uh, rather than letting yeah. somebody ease into the role, mm-hmm. um, you know, Rosario comes up and he's thrust into the starting spot. You know, when they brought Dom Smith up and he's suddenly the starting first baseman because Lucas Duda is gone. Well, you know what? They both struggled. Yeah. The difference was the Mets had options at first base this year and they didn't have options at shortstop. Um, or we'd see them both out there. And honestly, I want to see what Dominic Smith can do, but that's another day's discussion. Mm-hmm. But Rosario is... First of all, doing you know doing what you want from a shortstop. He he can make any play on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a terrific shortstop. Um, doesn't have the sort of can get to anything the way somebody like a Ray Ordonez had, but he makes the plays. Um, he seems to really have what they refer to as a high baseball IQ on mm-hmm. the field. He seems to know what's going on. Um, his hitting has improved significantly. He, yes. he really looks like he's learning to basically take pitches and work a count and wait for his pitch, um, which is really just... You, you hear Keith talk about him during the game, and you know that... I love hearing Keith get excited about a hitter. I love yeah. hearing, like, to go back to Mesoraco for a second, like, yeah. it's been really interesting watching Keith learn about Mesoraco and, like, every at-bat. He's like, I like this kid. Right. This kid's a hitter. Yeah, it's funny because um, 
we could we probably could do a whole episode on Keith Hernandez and how underrated Keith Hernandez is from a historical perspective. Um, just as far as it, just mix of defense um, and offense, I don't know that people realize how good Keith Hernandez was. Another, I'd say we should actually do. A, I haven't had a chance to read. It's it's on my list. I want to read his book, yeah. and I want to read Davy Johnson's new book. Yeah, but we should we should read them, and we should do a pod later later this season to talk about that specifically. Because Agreed. Keith, Keith was my favorite player. Yeah, up. and every time I you know if I was playing little league and I got to choose a number, I chose seventeen. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so we can we can talk about that. Yeah, we should do that later. Date. Anyway. Yeah, but you're right. Hearing Keith talk about, you know, Mesoraco and talking about what Rosario is doing well, mm-hmm. um, it's always fun to listen to. But the sort of, you know, one last thing on um, on Rosario is the um, people keep asking, like, hey, when is he going to steal bases? He's got the speed. Mm-hmm. That's a learned thing. You know, he could probably swipe a couple of bags if he just was out there running on just instinct. But I think he's somebody who's trying to be, he's in this for the long haul. Yeah. I think he looks at himself and the organization looks at somebody who's going to be starting shortstop for the foreseeable future. And he's trying to learn his, you know, he's trying to be a leader on the field. He's trying to learn um, pitchers moves. Mm-hmm. If the team wanted, needed him to run more, he would run more. Look, the stolen base is overrated. The risk reward on a stolen base isn't uh, isn't great enough to try it on a regular basis. I think it's sort of best used um, sparingly. I'm not sure I agree with you on that mm-hmm. because I think it's less about. I I think if you're just looking at the effect of the stolen base itself, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I am always really cognizant of less about the actual steal and more about how the threat of a steal changes the entire defense Yeah, and how many hits the batter gets because the pitcher is more concerned with keeping the runner on right. and that it's just a heightened sense of havoc right. on the bases. And I think it's, so it's less important how many steals actually happen and more that that the threat is there. Right. And if in a year or a year and a half, we end up with a Rosario and a Nimmo, like, and at the top of the order, who are both hitting really well and both have enough speed that when they get on the bases, the defense has to be mindful of them. Right. Ooh, that is, that. I mean, I always remember how in, in, in the, the, the mid-80s teams that, you know, Dykstra and Backman, mm-hmm. they both hit, Back, I mean, Dykstra became a power hitter later, but seriously, he was a singles hitter. Right. And he and Backman were both singles and doubles hitters, and they were fast. Yeah. And you put them on the bases, and the, the defense suddenly started freaking out. Right. And how much did Hernandez and Carter and Strawberry benefit from that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always felt like they could put a run up in the first inning. Yeah, totally. Um, in retrospect, does anyone look less like a ball player than Wally Backman? Oh. You know, and Wally was a favorite of mine. Again, Wally's had a number of issues over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, like, oh, Wally Backman had a sort of a, a shaggy mm-hmm. look to him. Yeah. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. I just every now and then I think of that. I'm like, I don't know that that would exist today. Yeah. So 
the other positive. There's one other really okay. great thing. Um, Astrubal Cabrera. Oh, yeah. Like, you want to talk about, like, who's who's running the show on this team? Mm-hmm. Astrubal Cabrera is is the leader of this team. Um, he, for me, has comfortably fit himself into what I, I generally think of as the Robin Ventura slot. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, just the guy you know you can count on. Yes. Like, he's going to show up every day, and he is a pro, and he can come through in the clutch again and again and again and again. Which, given that, like, last year he had asked about being traded, like, that's a huge yeah. change. It seems like, and again, we always joke about this, like, in my head, Estrubo Cabrera is older than I am. Yes. yes. Now, I am, I talk, I'm no secret about my age, I'll be 44 this year. Um, I always assume Estrubo Cabrera is my age or older. Because as we've joked, Estrubo Cabrera, when he's not running the bases or out in the field, moves like Fred Sanford. We have reached the uncomfortable age, both of us have reached the uncomfortable age, where we are now older than not just the Mets players, but the Mets manager. Yes. That's unsettling. Does not feel good at all. But Cabrera, not just at the plate where he has been rock solid, um, like he's 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 the team MVP right totally, now. Totally. Um, he's been terrific, and again, I didn't see this coming. We thought for a good chunk of last year that Cabrera was done. Yeah, but it seems like he's made the adjustment to second base. Um, he's out there every day. He never well, wants to come out of the lineup. Knee. He's on a bad knee, and he yeah. still goes out there every day. Like the, I always thought he was a great ball player. I never had a bad thing to say about him as a person. But like my respect for him has grown even greater because he is the leader of this team. Yeah. You can see that he's the guy everybody looks to. And I, I say this because yesterday, before the game, completely got away from the Mets. The Mets lost to the Cubs last night, um, blowing, a, blowing a, a lead, um, wasting a really good start by Zach Wheeler. Um, I'm going to stop you for a second. Sure thing. Just said a phrase that I don't believe you would have believed that you would have said earlier this season. A very good start. Really good start by Zach Wheeler. Yes. So let's we'll come back to that. But 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 there was a point late in the game where uh, Ben Zobris is on second base Mm -hmm. and Jason Hayward is at the plate for the Cubs and there's clearly something going on around second base. I didn't get what was happening. Where Zobrist. Ben Zobrist. (laughs) Ben Zobrist is clearly, in my opinion, trying to signal location Uh to Jason Hayward. Uh So Rosario, again, being a young ball player with a very high IQ, is trying to block Zobrist's view. Uh He's doing a little sort of moving around and, and, and trying to make sure that Zobrist can't see it. So I don't know who starts this, but Cabrera starts yelling at Jason Hayward, or Hayward starts yelling at him. But basically, Cabrera sees, hey, the Cubs may be trying to do something here. And while Rosario is taking the action, Cabrera is the one saying, if you got a problem, bring it to me. Uh-huh. Cabrera is, this is, this is my team, yeah. and if you have a problem with this, you got to go through me. Okay. And I feel like everybody on the team looks at Cabrera now as the guy. So, okay. as long as David Wright is still in the organization, he's going to be the team captain. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me, in his absence, um, Cabrera has taken this team over. 
yeah, I can see that. I can and see I, that. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty great. We have one other good thing that we need to talk about because it's really easy to forget this. Okay. It's really easy for this to get lost in all of the other stuff. But we are so far witnessing what has got to be a historic season from Jacob DeGrom. He has been the definition of it amazing. Yes. And, you know, the worst thing that's happened to him all season was he had a 45-pitch inning that he got out of without giving up a run. Right. Like, he, I mean, the he's only got, what, four wins? But, like... Wins don't the matter. number of runs that he's given up and for innings pitch, it's been incredible. And, you know, they're starting to talk about... It's June now, so the conversation to the utterly meaningless but still fun to talk about all-star game has started right and you gotta consider that you know that DeGrom has a good shot at starting that game he does especially since um Justin Verlander who you want to talk about a pitcher on a run Mm -hmm. since last season Justin Verlander who we thought was done Mm -hmm. has been um there's a great piece on MLB.com either it went up yesterday or today um about the run that Verlander's been on Mm -hmm. but you know, because of that, like, DeGrom's run has really gone under the radar. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know. And because the bullpen keeps blowing his legs. Right. But he has been terrific. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dullest thing in the world is people talking about fantasy baseball. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the league that I've been in for years, the um, buddy of mine who has got DeGrom on his team, he knows what a big Mets fan I am, will text me during every DeGrom start. Mm-hmm. And DeGrom has been amazing. amazing. I haven't seen a Mets pitcher on a run like this in a long time. And it's a quiet, like if it's possible to strike out 13 quietly. Yeah, yeah. It's quiet dominance. Yeah. In a sense, it reminds me a little bit of Ron Darling. In that, you know, because Gooden was the one that got all the headlines. Right. But when Darling's on, man, he's just a surgeon. I always felt like, you know, Darling was a guy who... um, Again, underrated because he was in the shadow yeah. of, of Dwight Gooden, but like there's a good chance you were gonna walk out of that game with a W mm-hmm. when he was on the mound. He's pitching today and it's it's oh, God. fun to see. I wish. You know. Oh, I thought you meant Ron Darling is no, pitching no, today. DeGrom I was like, Oh, that would be right? weird. DeGrom is pitching today, and yes. if I remember if I read this correctly, Kevin Ploecki is playing first base. Ooh. Yes. That's I'm sorry for my brain cramp there. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, wait, how is Ron Darling starting today? I really got confused there for a moment. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but you're right. It's yeah. it's as I said earlier. Like if Durham's not starting, I'm yeah. not really excited to turn the game on. And today I'm excited to turn the but, game on. You know, like finger issues notwithstanding, it sort of feels like whatever little nitpicky things have been plaguing Cindergard, mm-hmm. he seems to be close to figuring them out. Mats and Wheeler have started looking like the pitchers that we expected them to be over the last few weeks, and right. I, you know, I'll credit Mesrocco for that. But right. uh, but um, and even Vargas had a good game. Well, yeah. The question is, there. like, will the real Jason Vargas please stand up? Yeah. Because he's had two outstanding starts. Yeah. And the rest just feels like a tire fire. If we could, whatever he's doing to have those two outstanding starts, more of that, please. More of that. Yes. So that's sort of where we are with the team. I'm going to try to keep it optimistic. Try to take your point of view. (laughs) 
they, they have a balance. Hey, they win today. They're back in 500. Yes. And it's just time to hit that stride again. You know, the other thing that, that I've been thinking about a lot today is, is the Braves are better than we expected and the Phillies are better than we expected. They're both And the Nationals are back where they should be. Prospects. But, but specifically the Braves and the Phillies I'm not worried about because we've been those teams before. Right. They're the equivalent of the 97, 98 Mets to the 84 Mets where there's a lot of promise but then you get to the end of the season and they fade. Right. And I am still convinced that as good as the Braves and the Phillies have been in the big, the beginning of the season, they will fade by the end. And we'll see. The Mets now are apparently more of the, they're more like the Nationals in that they're the older, more established team that is going to flounder for a bit, but then sort of put it all together uh, in, in the back half, I think. I hope you're right. I as, just uh, as Syndergaard said last year, we're a second half team. Well, I I hope so. So that's where we are with the team right now. Um, I wanted to tell you something that happened a couple of weeks ago now. Um, it's been a while since we've had a chance to sit down and talk um, in person. But a few weeks ago, back when the Mets were in San Diego, um, my wife and I went down to Petco Park mm-hmm. to see a game and... First of all, Petco Park, as you know, having been there, is one of the best ballpark experiences it's pretty great. in the in the league. Both in terms of where the stadium is, because it's one of those things where the stadium is in the neighborhood. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we decided to sort of make a night of it, so we mm-hmm. stayed at a local hotel. So we got to the hotel, dropped our stuff off, and just walked down to the ballpark. And it's great to just be able to walk out of where you're staying, and the ballpark is six blocks away and you just walk to the park it's amazing yeah it's in the middle of the neighborhood and and you know there's no parking or there's parking but it's not like going to city field where there's this vast parking lot it's like oh if you go around petco park there's restaurants and bars and hotels and a hardware store and neighborhood screw you robert moses yeah it's great i I love ballpark in the middle of the city Mm -hmm. um Second, the concessions at Petco Park are top-notch. Really? Oh, yeah. One of the best concession experiences in the league. Um, You know, I'm not a drinker, but if you're a beer drinker, an amazing selection of beer, Mm -hmm. uh, according to my wife. Um, I got to say, they've got carne asada nachos. Whoa. Um, Big. Mm -hmm. Big win in, in, in my book. Um, really just a great ballpark experience. Um, ice cream sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I love it. Cause it's not the traditional, like, yeah, you can get a hot dog and peanuts and Cracker Jacks, or you can go the gourmet route. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to go to Petco once a year, I'm going all out. Right. But that's not, that's neither here nor there. Okay. I had the strangest ballpark experience oh, really? I've ever had. Oh. Um, <laughs> with my sort of row partner during the game. So just to sort of paint the scene for you, if you watched any of those games on TV, there's a section directly behind the visiting dugout. Okay. So a lot of Mets fans sitting behind the Mets dugout. That's where I got my tickets. Okay. I was like, you know what, I'm, again, I'm going to Petco once, so we're going to spring for the good seats. Good. So we were sitting in the sort of in-seat dining. Mm-hmm. Um, thing is, there are only four seats in the row. So it's my wife and I, Uh and then another couple. Okay. So 
we get there early and we're in our, you know, I got a Mets t-shirt and a Mets cap on. I'm clearly there to root for the Mets. I think I'm really showing my team colors. Just around first pitch, this couple shows up and they are practically wearing Padres uniforms. Oh boy. <laughs> like, okay. They are decked out and it's the old style. Uh-huh. Like it's, it, they're really feeling it. Good for them. I love, I, hey, I'm a passionate fan. Mm-hmm. I love a passionate fan. They're probably, I'm going to guess, late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Long-time baseball fans. And this is just what they do. Um, they they put the, wear their team colors and go to the game. Awesome. And they see we're wearing Mets gear. We sort of, not, I jokingly say, I'm going to guess you guys are Padres fans. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we talk about the team. They, they want to chat right away. Where are you from? Why you, you know, root for the Mets? I, you know, explain I grew up on Long Island. Well, his dad is from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So we just chat a little bit. Here's where it gets weird. This guy will not stop talking to me. Oh. Will not stop talking. Hello, everyone. This is Will, and I'm interrupting my own story to tell you that I made a mistake here. In telling this story about a man who would not stop talking to me at a game, I neglected to mention the fact that this is the experience that women go through um, in public places, in private places, um, with men all the time. Every woman I know has told me a story about a man who um, would not follow, would not pay attention to social cues and continued to talk when that conversation was not wanted. You know, it's one thing for me to say that, hey, this made my game experience uncomfortable, but uh, to not acknowledge that this is uh, the experience of, of every woman I know and probably every woman you know. I bring this up because it's a mistake on my part to not mention that, and um, I will do better next time. We now bring you back to this podcast. His wife, sitting next to him, doesn't say a word. (laughs) Because I assume that she's normally the one bearing the brunt of this. And I'm here, she's got a night off. Like, she's got some reason, somehow she's got her back to the action. And to me, she's just like, oh, thank God I don't have to deal with this tonight. Mm -hmm. So I keep trying to turn to talk to my wife, who is also to this gentleman seemingly invisible. Like, there's nobody else in the ballpark. Women at the ballpark? Right. There's nobody in the ballpark to this guy but me and him and the game. Yeah. He just will not give me a second to breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, I I make excuses to get up. Oh, man. um, And he won't stop. And, like, won't take the hint. Like, I've got my back to him at this point. And I'm talking to my wife. I'm looking at my phone. I'm like... I'm like, I'm going to pretend to take a call at this point. Yeah, yeah. Because I cannot get out of this conversation. That's not the weird part. Oh, uh-oh. Did they, did they ask you to go home with them? Is that well, going? that's for another podcast. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, that's for my side that, podcast. That, that's for Flushing Transit After Dark. Yes. So, here's what happens. At some point in the game... Um, Actually, this happened frequently because this was the first Jason Vargas start. Oh. Yes. The as soon as the Padres put a run on the board, my seat buddy reaches into his bag and pulls out 
two laminated sheets which on which he has on one sheet is the Padres 25 man roster and another sheet is the Mets 25-man roster. Okay. And next to each player, he has their salary listed highest to lowest. <laughs> I'm sorry, what now? Yes, he has got laminated sheets with the players. Like, how, how big are these sheets? Are they like paper? Or yeah, they like, like 8 by 11. Like 8 by 11. 8.5 by 11. But it's laminated. But laminated. Okay. Yeah, it's like he went down to Kinko's and said, all right, this is the sheets I made up. I might spill beer on this, so we gotta laminate. We gotta laminate this. I can't be printing multiple copies right. of this. So he's got laminated copies, and every time a player is up, he refers to the sheet and looks at how much money they make. And it's this weird thing. And then like he rates that player's performance based on where they are in the salary chart. So at some point he was talking about, you know, I think it's Chase Headley who is back on the Padres. And he's like, look how much money we're giving this guy. And I was like, I just sort of jokingly, I'm like, how much of that money's coming out of your pocket? Like, mm -hmm. He's like, but they're making too much money. And again, I'm, I'm not in a mood to be nice because I'm annoyed at this point. Yeah. It's like, no, they're being paid what the market will bear. This is the salary structure of Major League Baseball. Veterans make this much money when they have a track record of production. You get paid on past performance, not what you're doing now. Um, because what he's pointing out is Headley's making, you know, X amount of millions and there's somebody else making league minimum. So I was like, okay, so combined you're paying $14.5 million for this production. If you got those numbers from one player, great. Yeah. Like, the money's not coming out of your pocket. But it's very much like the players in my day didn't make this kind of money. Well, owners in your day made that <laughs> kind of money. Yes, they did. Huh, that is, that is it is really, really strange. And again, I've been, look, we all talk about player salaries. It's a thing you can't ignore. But the way I see it, it's not my money. Yeah. I don't care. So there are a couple of things going on here to, to, to my mind. Like one is, like you can say these are, these are personal things or these are cultural things or these are regional things. Um, the first thing is, you know, there are certainly, and we know being Mets fans, there are certainly fans who are fans in order to complain. Yep. The prototypical Randy Quaid in Major League fan. Yeah. Who, everything that happens, there's a negative response. And as part of the Mets family, mm -hmm. we're very familiar with that. And that's sometimes that's a trap to get caught in that you can wor work your way out of. But there are some people that that's what they want. That is their fandom experience, is they want to complain. Yep. Um, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. The thing about not taking the hint to stop talking is is really interesting. And that sort of dovetails with... Um, so when I was back in New York uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to a game at City Field, and the Mets actually won, which was nice. Good. And I hadn't been back home in a couple of years, and it was really sort of um, nice to sort of fit back into the flow of just what day-to-day -day life in New York is. And... and you know, New Yorkers get this reputation for being standoffish or, you know, not not really caring about other people. And that's totally not true. And that's never been true, at least in my experience. My experience has been we're all busy. We're all, we all got stuff going on. Like, don't get in someone else's way. Right. So the way that, at least in my experience, you, 
when you're at the ballpark and there are people around you, if you chat with someone who's next to you, you say a couple of things and then you just go back to what yeah. you're doing. That's normal. Now, I when I went to grad school, uh, I went to grad school in uh, in North Carolina, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I had a tremendous amount of trouble fitting in in Greensboro because the culture was completely different. Yeah, it's not an Uncle Jack's Meat House kind of place. It's not an Uncle Jack's Meat House kind of place. It's a, you know, someone is in front of you online at the coffee shop or the store and they get up to the cashier and they start chatting. How's your day? What's going on? And I'd be sitting behind them and be like, I'm just trying to buy a thing. Like, do your thing and let's go. But they were very much a culture of we're just going to talk for a while and there's no rush. And it caused me all this agitation. And then I would talk to people and they would find me to be abrupt. Intense. Intense. And there was one time where I was, I was working at a place and you know, the boss was telling me to do something and I was like, okay, right. Got it. He was like, don't interrupt me. And I was like, Oh, like I, I wasn't like trying to interrupt you. I was just sort of, Feeding back, like you said this, I do this, okay, boom, let's go. And so since that experience, I've been really aware that in different parts of the country, there's a different sort of etiquette for when strangers are in a place, how do they talk to each other? Right. So charitably, you could say that your seatmate was just from a you know different sort of culture, but that doesn't excuse the nonverbal signals of like, this conversation is over now. Right. It's like, hey, it's been great talking to you. Great talking to I'll you. check back. I'll check yeah. with you between innings. Yeah, that crosses the line from cultural to dude, take a hint. Yeah, like you're here with your wife. Why don't you talk to her right. while I talk to my wife? Thank you very much. Yes, we ended up leaving the game early. Yeah, mostly because the Mets were losing. I think eleven to two. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, but I gotta say, I normally would have just stuck around just for the sake of watching baseball because. Again, best part about having the ballpark in the city mm-hmm. to leave. All I had to do was walk a few blocks. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of continue uh, something that I had mentioned a little bit uh, in, in the last pod when I was talking with my parents is, is that I think is a difference between Padres fans and Dodger fans. Like Dodger fans get, I mean, at least in my experience, I've had a lot of like, you're in a city, you're in a section with Dodger fans, you'll chat every so often and they'll go back to the game. Yeah. But nobody wants to like become your best friend. Right. Um, no, you're right. And again, maybe I've been to Petco Park four or five times over the last like three years. Mm-hmm. And I, this is an anomaly, mm-hmm. but it was just, it ruined the experience for me. I hope that that dude has a great time at the ballpark, but really sit him next to the foul pole next time. When, when you were chatting with him, did he mention what he did for a living? He was retired. He was retired. So. Okay. So here's what you need to do is you need to find out what retirement community he lives in. And you need to show up on his front lawn with a laminated sheet of, of how much everyone in the retirement community and how much they have in their retirement accounts. And be like, keep him busy for a you're, while. You're playing shuffleboard like that. Look at how much you got here. Yeah, that's like you should be you should be better than that. Yeah, that's the next step. We're gonna I'm gonna have to find him and follow him around. Yeah. Um, here is one magical moment from Petco Park though, mm-hmm. and why um, I just adore my wife. Is we get to our seats and we're sitting on the on the on the third base side behind the Mets dugout, and she follows the stands down to the foul pole and points over at the the old warehouse mm-hmm. and says, "That's where Bartolo's home run went." <laughs> yes. Uh, 
You yes. are right. Yes, that is that is wonderful. That is wonderful. So, um, that's all I got to say about the Mets. How about so you? So we got a Jacob Degrom game today, and you know, high hopes. And there, there, there seems to be rumblings that Swarzak maybe maybe ready to pitch sometime soon. So maybe we get some bullpen help. Um, I'm trying really, really hard not to, you know keep too much blame on Gerson Bautista for giving up, like, big hits in the ninth inning because if the Gerson kid. Bautista is pitching in the ninth inning, there are other problems. Yes. So we just got to hang on through the stretch, um, hopefully get some players back. And, you know, like we always say, like, try and enjoy the things in the game that are, are there to enjoy. Doing my best. Um, yeah. Um, one other thing, we don't often do this, um, but, you know, you may, listeners may be surprised to know that, that both you and I do other things than watch the Mets and, and talk about well, the Mets. One of us does. Um, but, and we don't, so we don't often talk about that because this is a, this is a Mets podcast, but I do would like to, I would like to take a second to, to do a short plug um, for a project that I worked on that just came out that I'm, I'm really happy with. Um, there's a show on uh, Netflix that you may or may not know called 13 Reasons Why. Um, and uh, earlier this year, I was hired to help write a little um, interactive media sort of prequel to the second season. Um, and it was a lot of fun to write, and it was a lot of fun to put together. And it's an experience basically where when you launch it, you start getting FaceTime calls from the characters in the show. And depending on what you say to them, their responses uh, change. And so it's a little interactive story that I was one of the two writers on. And, and um, you know, I do a lot of those kinds of things. We don't really talk about what we do uh, outside of this, but but that's that's the kind of work I do a lot of. And, and this one feels really special. Cool. And so I wanted to share it. Um, with Where can we find this? Uh, if you go to the website, talktothereasons.com, um, that, will, uh, that will take you to the uh, experience. You should uh, do it on your phone. It's a phone experience. Uh, and we'll drop a link in the show notes. But... Um, it's uh, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun to, to work on, and I, I just hope people uh, t- give it a, give it a look and, and enjoy it. Cool. Hey, yeah. you know I know we don't do plugs, but that's a worthy plug. Yeah. Thanks. Anything else before we wrap it up here? No, I just you know think that uh, that um, team meetings can sometimes be helpful. I feel I very think. good about this team I mean, meeting. This has been a good team meeting, and then and we just got to go out there and mix metaphors the right way that we that we were taught when we were eighteen. And, Fundamentals. May your metaphors be mixed (laughs) and your games end in victory. Speaking of which, I guess that's where we should have our usual sign-off, which is we'll see you at at the baseball baseball movies. movies.